So for weeks now, we have, uh, we've been in this long sentence in Colossians chapter 1 that began in verse 9. And we talked about the end of verses 9 through 11 all ended with semicolons. And we explained that as best as I knew how. But at the end of verse 12, which we looked at last week, we do not find a semicolon. We actually find that it ended or ends with a colon. And what this tells us is, is that there's going to be a strong emphasis on what comes next with further explanation on what's just been discussed or covered. And so we're going to see this pattern of a, of a colon that ends in each verse from verses 13 through 16. So as this sentence continues, what you're going to see in a very beautiful and powerful way is you're going to see an increase in richness of the content. And it's beautiful where it, it, it just keeps building and building and God keeps using Paul to further explain and develop what all these things mean. And it's an incredible study. But in verse 13, we get more explanation on what it meant for God, the Father, to make us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 12. In verse 13, we also see Paul begin to transition from praying for the church at Colossae to now teaching. Now, Paul's powerful prayer for them reinforced the power of prayer. But what we see in verses 13 and 14 is we see now the power of our salvation. And it is incredible. In these verses, we see four incredible blessings from God to us at the moment we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ at salvation. And they are incredible. These four blessings explain how it is possible that God made us to be meet, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and light. But here's what they also explain. They also explain whether or not you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, they explain whether or not you are walking worthy of the Lord or whether or not you are walking unworthy before the Lord. They absolutely do. Because knowing about these four blessings alone does not ensure that you're going to walk worthy of the Lord. You, you know these, I promise you that. We all do. I can assure you of that. The issue is, have you reckoned them to be so in your life? You can know something, but you've got to reckon that. And this is what Paul gets after in the book of Romans. Like, you've got to count it as true. You've got to agree with God. In other words, you now fit your mind, you adorn your mind with this truth, where you agree with God and you think about this the way that God would have you to. So here we are in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, and whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now remember, the emphasis is rising. As we progress from verses 13 through 16, and it's just going to keep going from there. But Paul begins speaking about God's dear son in verse 13. 
which by the time we end in verse 18, you're going to see one of the richest expressions of the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all of scripture. It is majestic. It is amazing. But the first blessing of our salvation that we see here is this. We have been delivered. We have been delivered. Who hath delivered us. Notice the tense. Hath. It's past. This is done. This has happened. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been delivered. And notice the inclusion. He says us. Regardless of race, gender, class, or spiritual condition, every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has been delivered. Delivered from what? From the power of darkness. Now, to appreciate that, there are some things that we have to consider. One being this. That phrase, power of darkness, is only mentioned twice in Scripture. Obviously, you see it here. This is the second mention of it in Colossians 1.13. But the first mention of it amplifies our deliverance from the power of darkness. After Jesus was betrayed by Judas Iscariot and arrested, and he found himself addressing the, the religious leaders of Israel, he made this statement to them, and you find it in Luke 22, verse 53. He said, When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. So that's the first mention of this phrase, power of darkness. Now notice that Jesus mentioned to them that this was their hour. But there's a shift in tone in what followed and the power of darkness. This is your hour, but this is not your power of darkness. This is the power of darkness. Listen, the power of darkness represented the power that Satan had over Jesus temporarily. Temporarily. Working through unreasonable and wicked men who had not faith, Satan bruised the heel of Jesus, Genesis 3.15, the first prophecy in your Bible. Matthew 27, 45 tells us now from the sixth hour or noon, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And so darkness reigned. It was the hour. It, it was, I'm sorry, it was the power of darkness where Satan was allowed to bruise his heel as prophesied in Genesis 3, 15. But here's where Paul is going with this in a major way, particularly you're going to see this really amplified in Colossians chapter 2. But this is critical for us. What, what we're about to say right now, listen, if you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are ever going to walk worthy of the Lord, if you are ever going to walk victoriously in Jesus Christ, you have to reconcile what we're about to say, which is this. When Jesus rode from the, rose from the dead, he defeated Satan and the power of darkness. He defeated it. He defeated it. Now, we're going to read something that is very familiar to you. 
so familiar that, that you, you, might be, you might be tempted to gloss over it, but I'm going to ask you not to, because if you do, you'll be robbed of the power of it. After raising from the dead, Jesus said this to his apostles in Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All, what? Power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power. Uh, Folks, by now, you should know that words matter. When it comes to the word of God, every word matters. And I say that because the majority of modern Bible versions, if not all, replace power with authority. All authority. And it changes the tense. Has been. No, no, no. The Bible tells you here all power is. He always has it. Now listen very carefully. You say, well, what's the big deal? There's, they're, they're so close. No, here's the big deal. Listen. Authority is the right to give orders, but power is the right to grant authority. You see the difference. That's the difference. They're not synonymous. If you yank power out and replace it with authority, what you're doing is you're demoting Jesus' power. Can't do that. Listen to 1 Corinthians one twenty four. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and wisdom of God. Listen, Christ is not the authority of God. He is the power of God. Words matter. And so what we have in Matthew 28, 18, Matthew, Matthew 18, it reinforces the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it does. And when you yank power out with, and replace it with authority, you diminish that. Now, having said all of that, because Jesus defeated Satan and the power of darkness... Paul could now write to believers in Jesus Christ that God has delivered us from the power of darkness. Because Jesus defeated that. Standing before King Agrippa, Paul was sharing his conversion testimony. In it, he told Agrippa that the risen Christ had a mission for him to the Gentiles. And in that, he explained why Jesus sent him to the Gentiles. And you see it in Acts 26, 18. Paul said he was told to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Is that not what we've been reading about in Colossians up to this point and what we looked at this morning in these verses? That's exactly it. At salvation, your eyes were opened. My eyes were opened. You and I were turned from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. He's defeated. (laughs) You and I received forgiveness of sins. We received an inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith. Praise the Lord. Okay, so why is all this so, supposed to be so life-changing then? Like, what's the point? Here's the issue. 
We have been delivered from the power of darkness, but we still wrestle with darkness. We've been delivered from it, but we still wrestle with it. Ephesians 6.12 affirms this. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This is one of the great dilemmas for the believer. Is it not? Absolutely. Well, if I'm delivered from the power of darkness, why am I still struggling with it so badly? For starters, Satan is the prince of the power of the air for now. Ephesians 2.2. 2. That's why. That's why. Just like he had power over Jesus temporarily... He is the God of this world temporarily. Temporarily. And just like Jesus has his soldiers, Satan has his, Ephesians 6.12. So for the believer, until physical death or the rapture, the believer is going to have to wrestle with darkness. There's no getting around it, but here's the issue. And, and you have to reconcile this, darkness has no legitimate power over a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It has no power. No legitimate power. Sometimes believers get confused. Just because we're wrestling with darkness does not mean that darkness has a rightful claim to us. It has no say. It does not. When Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated that. And that salvation, guess what? So did you. So did I. Listen to 1 John 2.13. I write unto you fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I ran to you, little children, because you have known the Father. You are not in the process of being delivered from the power of darkness. You have been delivered from it. You are not trying to overcome the wicked one. You have. You have. Well, if that's true, then why do I have these dark episodes of depression? That have a death grip on me. Why do I still go on dark binges of drunkenness? Why do I still find myself in a dark room at night? Visiting porn site after porn site after porn site for hours. Why do I still find myself eating gluttonously at the table? Why do I have fits of anger and rage where corrupt communication comes out of my mouth and I say vile things to my spouse or others? Why? Listen, wrestling with darkness is only a struggle to the extent that we reconcile our deliverance from it. Let me say that again. Wrestling with darkness 
is only a struggle to the extent that we reconcile our deliverance from it. To the extent that you agree with God that darkness has absolutely no power, no right, no authority over you. That determines how this struggle is going for you. Whether you're losing or winning. Because listen very carefully. There is a difference between wrestling with darkness and darkness having power over us. There is a difference. All believers are wrestling with darkness. Yes, the question though. Does it have power over you? That's the question. And here's what determines that. Whether or not it has power over you. Ephesians 5.8. Listen. Again, words matter. For ye were. Ye. In our King James, it's a plural term. He's talking to us. For ye were. Sometimes darkness. That's who you were. It's not who you are. It's who you were. You were sometimes darkness. But now are ye light in the Lord. Ye were sometimes darkness. But now are ye light in the Lord. So what does that mean, colon? Walk as children of light. Walk like who you are. Not who you were. I'll never forget. It was years ago. I was, I was on a circuit ministry. I was, I was just starting to preach. And I was going to different places. And, and, and I was going to this church to preach. And, and, and um, someone called the week leading up to the, my trip coming out. And I said, hey, there's someone in the church that wants to talk with you uh, for counseling. And I'm like, uh, yeah, sure, no problem. And I'm thinking, no, I'm just there to preach. I'm not counseling anybody. I'm just get in and get out. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. Call the next guy next week. Let him do it. And so, uh, yeah, absolutely. So I, obviously I prayed about it. And, and I sat down with this believer. And here's what they said. They said, I'm an alcoholic. And I had heard their salvation testimony. And I said, I'm going to have to challenge and correct that. That's not who you are. You are a blood-bought, born-again child of God who's been made to sit together in heavenly places. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's not who you are. That's who the devil is telling you you are and you've bought that. That's not who you are. I was like, thank you, God. <laughs> he does give wisdom, I'm telling you. <laughs> he gives wisdom in the moment. In this verse, Paul declared, Ephesians 5, 8, he declared who we were and who we are. We were sometimes darkness. Have you accepted that? That that's not who you are anymore. 
Do you believe, have you accepted that you were sometimes darkness? And that now you are light in the Lord. If you haven't reconciled that, that would be why you're not only wrestling with darkness, that would explain why it has power over you. That would explain why. Because you have not agreed with God fully that you are no longer darkness. You have failed to reconcile that in Christ you have been delivered from the power of that and it has been defeated. Therefore, it is to our shame and our choosing if darkness has power over us. That, listen, that has absolutely nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And listen to this as carefully. Neither are you a victim. Far from it. No, 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 no. You're not a victim. You are more than a conqueror. Why? Because you are in Christ. So the first blessing of our salvation is that God delivered us from the power of darkness, but he did more, verse 13, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So the second blessing is we have been translated. We've been delivered and we have been translated. Now, this word translated, it's not used very much in scripture. You only find it four times. But here's what's interesting about it. It's each time that you find it, it deals with, with something or someone transitioning from one kingdom to another. We see the first mention of this in 2 Samuel 3 verse 10. And you have, you know, you, you have this, this, this transition that is happening now. Uh, Saul has died in 1 Samuel and, and, and the throne is being transitioned from the house of Saul to David. Look at 2 Samuel 3.10. To translate the kingdom from the house of Saul and to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan even to Bathsheba. This is the first time you find the phrase throne of David in our Bible here in 2 Samuel. But that's exactly what God was doing. He was, there, there was a transition within the kingdom. So God was working to translate the kingdom from Saul to David. Consider Hebrews 11 and verse 5. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, we know Enoch is a picture of a believer who is alive at the rapture, who is raptured in that state. But he was translated or raptured before he physically died. He was taken from the first heaven to the third heaven. But notice his testimony. For before his translation, he what? Had this, this testimony that he pleased God. Remember what we saw in verse 10 of Colossians chapter 1, unto all what? Unto all pleasing. Now, here's what we have to understand. In each mention of this word, translate, translated, or translation, the transition was seismic. It's massive. In other words, it was a very big deal. <laughs> The translating of the kingdom from Saul to David was no light matter. 
Enoch being translated from earth to heaven, no light matter. You and I translating into the kingdom of his dear son, no light matter. This is huge. <laughs> huge. Now, this kingdom that is mentioned here, it cannot be the kingdom of heaven because that's coming. So it can't be that. So it would have to be the spiritual kingdom of God, as wisely stated by Pastor Greg Axe, one of the finest teachers that the world has ever known. He said, in order to have a kingdom, two things must exist at the same time, a king and subjects. So Christ is the king of this spiritual kingdom. And guess who the subjects are? We are. We've been translated into this kingdom. Now, this is a spiritual kingdom. Listen, where spiritual people reside. And that's huge because, listen, if darkness still has power over you, it is because, one of the reasons is because you do not see yourself as a spiritual being. You are still thinking, speaking, acting in a very carnal way, physical, fleshly. This is spiritual. Remember what Paul said in verse 9? And all spiritual understanding. And chapter 3 talks about us singing, what, spiritual songs. So if this is a spiritual kingdom for spiritual residents with spiritual understanding, singing spiritual songs, I wonder how they get spiritual understanding and spiritual songs. Well, Paul tells you in chapter 3, verse 16, they get it by allowing the word of Christ to dwell richly in them in all wisdom, which is synonymous with what? Being filled with and walking in the spirit of God, spiritual. But here's where we land the plane this morning. Far too many believers that have been translated into this glorious kingdom have not reconciled that they were sometimes darkness and are now light in the Lord. And so darkness is running roughshod in their life still. And it has power over them because by choice, the word of Christ is not dwelling richly in them in all wisdom. I know what it's like to grow up in an urban situation. I did. And I know some of the challenges and some of the hardships that come with that. And so since a child, there's always been a part of me that rejoices when I see someone from an urban setting make it. Make it big. Right? I mean, like, when to because I, I, I know what it's like to to wonder if we're going to be able to keep the lights on or can we keep the phone on? Can we get food this week? I, I, I know what that's like. And to live around people who that's how they're living too. I know what that's like. And so to see people come out of that and sign contracts where the guaranteed money exceeds $60 million. And by the time the dust clears on their retirement, they have earned over $100 million. 
And there's a part of me that says, man, good for them. I mean, as a kid, you know, I think, man, if God, if we had just, you know, $10,000, you know, um, that'd be great. But more than a few professional athletes and entertainers who made it, within a few years of retirement, find themselves financially destitute, bankrupt, working common nine-to-five jobs, not because they want to, but because they have to. On paper, they made enough money to live several lifetimes well. What happened? What happened was there were some things they didn't reconcile. Now, as believers, we hear stories like this. And we shake our heads and go, how could someone make $150 million over their career and be dirt poor? Slow down. Because God delivered you from the power of darkness and he translated you into the kingdom of his dear son. You've been made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2.6. He has blessed you, not with some, but with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.3. Yet so many are living spiritually destitute. I mean, God has loaded you down with benefits. He has immeasurably blessed you. And so many are living on spiritual welfare. How about that? So as quick as we're shaking our head at the athlete who wasted millions of dollars. I wonder what God thinks when he looks at us and says, I know what I've given them. I know who they are. I know what they have. Wait a minute. If I understand the same power that raised my son from the dead, it resides somewhere. Oh, it's in them. Yet they're powerless. Dominated, defeated, bullied by darkness. No victory. No power. Listen, we'll close with this. Believers render their incredible translation into the kingdom of God as none effect when they fail to reconcile who they are and what they have in Christ. You've been delivered and you've been translated. Have you reconciled that? Father, thank you for your word this morning. We do pray that it will not return void for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.